Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. We are through three games in the Eastern and and Western Conference Finals. Cody, I did not expect to be where we are today. My surprise level is very high. I think that's the place I want to start. Basketball, as we talk about on this show a lot, has a lot of variance and luck. I have like an entire chapter, one of the early chapters of Thinking Basketball, the book, devoted to this concept because it's so important. One half, one game, three games is not a determining factor of who's better necessarily in basketball. There's a lot of variance in shot making, but man, we've definitely reached the point for me in these playoffs where I am legitimately surprised. I am doing some adjusting, doing some, I'm doing some crow eating. I think in the West, uh, you and I both talked about how we liked Denver coming into the series, but I'm still a little, just a teeny bit, just a smidge surprised they have a 3-0 lead. They've been able to take some close games down the stretch. We might be able to talk about that. But, but I think the place to start has to be in the East, where I am going with a full-scale, level 10 surprise, egg on my face. You, you, you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, it's just lucky shooting. Fool me three times... It's not fooling me three times. It's the Miami Thrice. It's the South Beach Law Firm. It's Jimmy Butler. It's Eric Spolstra. The the Heat are, woo, they're scary. They are scary. And they're up 3 nothing. And uh, I, I mean, I want to know what you think and where you are. But for me, something clicked, as I said in the last show, in like the first quarter of game one. I was like, ah, oh, the Heat are going to win this game. But it didn't move me too much. You asked me last time, and I said, the needle is moving, but I'm still feeling the Celtics. And even crazier, as people know, uh, I think probably everyone listening to this show knows, we had the Jimmy Butler video set up, and it came out right after game two. I said at some point in game two, I think I texted the group. I was like, the Heat are winning this game. I started dancing in front of the television. I was like, watch this, watch this. Caleb Martin will make every three in the corner. It, it makes no sense. But he's not going to miss in this game. The Heat are winning this game. And yet, despite that, Cody, I still was like, I think the Celtics are going to make it 2-1. They're going to make it interesting. And blammo, that was the worst assessment. Maybe in the history of basketball, the Heat trounced them into oblivion. A lot we can dissect from that game. But stepping back on the big picture, I am at a level 10 surprise. That's where I'm at. Absolutely. And I, I got to say, it's one of those where, like, retroactively I could make myself look really good and be like, oh, I was talking about how good the Heat were going to be. But my, no, my you point... Were. You were. You got to take a little credit on that. You were. I, I'm going to take a little credit, but I remember specifically saying something like, they're going to be really annoying in the first round, right? And then after that, I picked the Knicks over them, and I picked the Celtics over them. So, like, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, I absolutely saw this coming. This Heat team's incredible. The journey that they've been on is awesome. But I want to stick on this idea that you've sort of changed since the last time we spoke because um, was it? I think it was only after game one the last time we recorded a podcast. And so what about, I don't know if it's Miami's process or the way the Celtics are playing them, that uh, what what is it about the Heat that have made, has made you change on them right now? Have you gone back and looked at their process throughout the playoffs? Do they essentially look like the same team? Like what's going on with your thinking about Miami right now? Well, I just think at a certain point, Yes, you could say variance and luck um, account for 
this in some sample size. And I think we're still probably within the realm of that sample size. But to me, it's it's more like, I, I, what did I say? The South Beach Law Firm, the Miami Thrice. We asked listeners to try to come up with a nickname for this trio of undrafted role players where you got Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. Are they all undrafted? All, all three of those guys were undrafted? I, I don't know off the top of my head. I heard You're asking someone, the wrong member of, of Thinking Basketball about drafts. <laughs> I, I, I heard someone say that um, recently. But like those, those guys, those starters, I just want to put this into perspective. Caleb Martin is the second leading scorer for the Heat in this series. He's the third leading scorer in the series. He's averaging 19 points a game in the three games in this series on 76% true shooting. He's made almost half of his threes. Gabe Vincent, who I think last year, both on the podcast and in a video we did, um, yes, the, the Heat have been in videos before. We had a Celtics Heat video, and we we're talking about the Heat defending the Celtics and the adjustments the Celtics made. But Gabe Vincent and his hands and some of the plays around the basket he makes with his activity in his hands, we've talked about stuff like that with him defensively. But offensively, I mean, there's nothing you can do when Gabe Vincent is making step-back threes around a pick-and-roll where the defender slides under briefly. That's just great basketball from Gabe Vincent. And so then you go to Max Struess, who's added a little bit to his off-the-dribble game. All three of those guys are not afraid to take and make big shots. Gabe Vincent's true shooting percentage in the series... Well, let me do Max Struess. He's at 62% on 12 points per game. Gabe Vincent is averaging 18 points per game on 83% true shooting (laughs) in the first three games. So... The thing is, what it says on the back of the jersey might throw some people, but at a certain point, you're just a good player and you're not a household name yet. And that might be what we're experiencing with these guys if they're going to play like this. Because yes, again, you could make an argument about the sample being small, but I think the thing we we talked about beforehand was they will show up in these big moments. And if they're just going to consistently play like this... uh, Man, it's almost like, in a weird way, it's almost like they're better than last year, and last year they were the one seed. So I think that's a little of the squaring of the circle for me, the reconciliation. When you add it all up, those three guys averaging, like, what, 40, 49 points a game in the series, 50 points a game in the series on, like, 70-something true shooting percentage and playing really good defense and playing within the system and... That's a huge deal to me. Kevin Love, his minutes and his shooting. Kyle Lowry coming off the bench, providing good minutes. I mean, the 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 huge run in Game Three was with the bench. The bench was out there. Duncan Robinson was smoking people. We, I mean, we got to talk about that. That was wild. But when you get that kind of production, all of a sudden, like you look at Miami's roster, one through eight, and it makes sense. It almost makes sense in absence of Tyler Hero more so because these other players are put in positions to succeed and they are 100% succeeding every single night. So um, I think that's the best way for me to describe how this team was always kind of pesky and they've, they've gone over a point where it's just like, Oh, well, who, who would they play in the finals? Denver. I think they could beat Denver. Yeah. They just, they can beat teams. That's just how it works now with, with this Miami heat team. At this point, you just have to say they can they can beat anyone because you're throwing they can beat anyone, like, yeah. literally any team in front of them, and they're they're doing a great job of them. For the record, by the way, with the nicknames sort of thing, we one of them that we've been batting around a bit, little bit, the South Beach Firm, because if you say Martin Struess and Vincent, 
I, that just rolls off the top. Like I would go, I'd have some property damage. That's the first place I'm calling right now. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna. I don't know. I'm gonna extend. We that need. Metaphor. Well, we need an official vote at some point. I think. What did we have? We had Miami thrice for those three guys. The yep. the South the South Beach firm, and was there one more that was really popular? I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't know. Those are the two that that really rose for me. Yeah. And anyway, you had you had actual basketball stuff to say. Keep going. Yeah. The thing when we're talking about just like how hot some of these guys are, you said Gabe Vincent is shooting like 80 some percent true shooting right yeah, now. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, just in the three games of the series, it's only 83 percent true shooting. I mean, what's the big deal with that? But I think what's really fascinating about that is we look to the thinking basketball database and relative to uh, what their opponents have been holding teams to during the playoffs, Gabe Vincent's actually below average. Right. When you look at the entire playoffs. So even with these absurd shooting, like this isn't how Gabe Vincent's been playing. I'm pretty sure there were a couple of games earlier in the playoffs. He was actually benched for periods of time because he wasn't making shots like this. And and game three was incredible because, you know, Jimmy Butler was great. Right. Like Jimmy Butler does a lot of things on the court that are just really good. Some of which we can get into in a second. But one of them in this last game was not scoring efficiently. Like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he ended up, I think, with like sub 20 points. He wasn't really hitting the the crazy shots that we've been used to seeing him hit. It was a lot of these guys like Vincent who like, man, there were a couple of those pull-up threes where people were trying to chase him over screens and he was just burying them. There was a huge just like run up the court, pull up from like 26 feet, bury it. When that was happening in the third quarter, the Celtics just like, it just killed him. That that run that they tried to get with the smart and one, it was just completely destroyed by the, the other guys here from the Heat. Yeah, yeah. And I think, as I said, it was the bench unit having a huge push at some point in there. Um, these these other complimentary players just making not not just their threes and big shots, but making plays off the dribble, driving, uh, running pick and roll. I, th- I thought there's a long list, uh, and I think it's worth chronicling just as, as a stake in the ground and acknowledging that the Celtics are getting roasted today. F- for me, it was one of the rare, rare times where you, you watch a game and you're just like, oh my God, what is what is happening to this team? They're They're falling apart. Um, they're falling apart from the process standpoint, which is related to the coaching staff. And then the players are falling apart in the sense that whatever is whatever's going on with the scoreboard and the point in the series and what the coaching staff is drawing up, if you're defending Duncan Robinson and getting smoked off the dribble, that's a problem. Like that's an effort or focus problem. You just can't win that way. And we know the Celtics individually all have a ton of competent defenders Th- throughout the entire rotation. Very good to great defenders in those situations. And yet, I, I, the one play that pops up off the top of my head, and I feel bad to point him out because I actually think his effort was one of the better uh, efforts on the Celtics side, was Grant Williams was guarding Duncan Robinson on the perimeter. And I think he very briefly loses focus by anticipating a, sc- a screen or handoff action coming because that's what they run with Robinson. And Duncan Robinson just toasts him to his strong hand by driving right. And I mean like a blow by that you just like put up on the screen and you're like matador defense, ladies and gentlemen. No one was is within eight feet of him. Uh, there were a couple other plays to go back and give some flowers back to Miami where like Gabe Vincent really should not be toasting the Celtics in empty side pick and roll. And yet the Heat were able to set that up a couple times and just basically get whatever they want because Al Horford in his coverage in in essentially a drop, right, 
Al Horford in his coverage was caught in no man's land. And and if anyone watched the entire game, they'll remember Bam Adebayo's two huge dunks. He had one on a spin move in isolation, but he had one on a lob in pick and roll. I can't quite remember who threw the pass off the top of my head, but essentially what happened was after that, Horford was like a little worried about the lob. So when he's dropping back, he's playing the lob, but he neither plays the lob entirely or the ball. And you just can't let Gabe Vincent run a basic pick and roll at the top of the key and dribble down the paint for a layup, which is what ended up happening. There's no contest. There was no help to pick up the ball. Uh, So those kinds of things in terms of the players executing were a big thing for the Celtics. And since I don't want to harp on it, um, we'll just complete kind of wrap up my thoughts on Boston here. The process from the coaching staff and the approach I just thought there were a number of things they could have changed and probably should have changed throughout the series. Uh, They finally went to the small lineup, but it took them two and a half games, Cody, at the end of the first half to trap Jimmy Butler, okay? And they trapped him in the post sometimes, and I think there was one or two instances where it was a pick and roll action and they trapped him. My issue is, besides taking a very long time to come up with a different approach to defend him, And he has been so great, as we chronicled in that video. Um, But the Celtics are soft-switching everything. And as an aside, I'm out on the soft-switch. I've had enough of the soft-switch after years of watching it. It it just It's like giving the other team whatever matchup they want without any resistance. And in the case of Boston, you have all these great defenders. And how many possessions does Jason Tatum actually get to guard Jimmy Butler, which is, at least in theory, the matchup you want since that's how you're setting your defense. And the, there was one time where Butler ended up on, uh, excuse me, Tatum ended up on Butler. I can't remember what quarter it was. might have been the third quarter. They did not switch, and Butler had a very hard time creating a shot. It's like, okay, you might want that matchup, but when you soft switch, you give up that matchup, and Miami, Spolstra, and Butler, and all these guys, they're so well coached. They've done an incredible job of picking apart the defense by setting the matchups they want. Okay, bring me Rob Williams so I can attack him and drop. Okay, I, I got a mismatch against Derek White. You can't guard me. So I'm going to back you down or get into the paint, pivot, and shoot right over you. And they got this over and over and over again. The offensive rating in the first two games was 122. So, mm-hmm. so that was my thing. And I believe the offensive rating after game three for the entire series is now 125 according to basketball reference, and say what we will about Miami and give them all the flowers in the world. There's, there's nothing about this team that suggests they should have a 125 all-time historic playoff offensive rating. So to me, um, you had to do something different instead of constantly giving up this soft switch and the matchup that the Heat wanted. And even when they made the adjustment at the end of the first half, we joked around at halftime and said, will they even stick with the adjustment? And the third quarter started, and it's, they seemed to not go back to double teaming at all in the third quarter. Miami blew the game open with that run that you talked about. So uh, I, I don't want to take anything. I don't want to take a smidgen away from Miami. But I did think Boston legitimately had issues executing at the player level and the process level. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Now, just to clarify for some people, when you say soft switch, you just mean that, like, no matter what, the Celtics are just going to switch it. They're not going to try and fight over it at all. So, like, oh, there's a screen. I'm switching it no matter what. 100%. It is, in a sense, a predetermined switch where you're not making any effort to get through the screen. And so you don't even really have to set a screen. And the Heat players know this. Just walk over into the area, and then they will change the matchups for you. And then if you, whoever you want to bring over, if you're, um, you want to bring Derek White into that action, who would screen for Derek White off the top of my head? Like Gabe Vincent, someone like that. So Gabe Vincent walks Derek White over to Jimmy Butler, doesn't even really need to set a screen, the Celtics soft switch, and then Gabe Vincent vacates that area. And now you have... Butler versus Derek White if you want. And then you can bring up, you know, you can attack Rob Williams and drop. You can go to the post. You can attack in isolation. Um, that's the idea. And it just it seems to create a lot of problems for Boston defensively. I think going back even a few years ago when the uh, Paul George-Kawhi Leonard pairing started, that's when I really started being against soft switching. I'm like, all right, I think it was against Luka in the playoffs. It's like, let's not give Luka Doncic any matchup that he wants. And at, at that point, I'm like, we need to be done with this. I'm gonna, I want to talk a little bit more about the Celtics. I know you just piled on a little bit more, but I want to add a little bit of, of what I saw because, man, I think it's really tough. We've talked about it a few times, trying to differentiate between what is going on with coaching and what is going on with the players that are out there. Because like you talked about, there's that one play where Gabe Vincent gets a, gets a ball screen. Rob, uh, Al Horford, I was going to say Rob Halford. That's the singer for Judas Priest. I'm pretty Rob, sure. Rob Halford is the Celtics yeah. when they go big. Yeah. That's, their, that's their big man. Yeah, that, That's where Painkiller comes from. So Halford, Horford, well, I got that screwed up now. Horford drops back. Vincent just, you know, goes with a nice little finger roll with the least contested layup of his life. Almost a couple of plays later, Rob Williams is in. I'm not sure who's running the pick and roll, but all of a sudden he's up hedging on the ball screen. Bam rolls, and Tatum is like a full second late rotating over. Bam almost ends his life with a dunk and draws the foul. So I see things like that. I see these moments where people getting burned. Weak side defense isn't stepping in front of the rim and stopping some of these, these roll type actions. And I'm like, okay, if I see it a couple times, I'm going to point to the player and be like, all right, you're making some mistakes. Your head isn't in the game. Uh, I don't know what's going on with your defensive rotations, but this is a strong defensive team. And when you see multiple of these things start happening in a game, in a playoff game, I start thinking like, huh, this feels like a a higher up process that's boiling down in a way that hurts them. So I'm not really sure. I'm not 100% just like blaming Missoula on this one, but it is one of those things where back and forth between just like the players awareness and the coaching process where I'm like, there's a lot that needs to be fixed here. Yeah, that 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 play you're talking about with Tatum was in the third quarter mm-hmm. um, and, and Bam did miss that dunk. It was almost yet his third big dunk of the game. But, you know, at that point in the game, did did they kind of lose focus? Did the players lose focus? That stuff, I think, is outside of our purview on this show. We'll let others speculate that. Certainly in the post game, the Celtics talked about how they kind of, they alluded to, if not explicitly said, how they got to that place mentally. Missoula, after the game, said um, that he has to do a better job kind of uh, keep keeping everyone on the same page and keeping the locker room together. So the, by the third quarter, it got bad. And just for the record, the, you don't you don't see this a lot but they took the starters out to start the fourth quarter. Like they didn't even play them in the fourth quarter. It was a full white flag moment. And I think uh, in many ways that has to be uh, just a victory lap for the heat 
to have a, just a, a complete performance. Uh, someone asked about luck as well. I should address that. Celtics had good shots and they missed open threes. And the Heat had pretty good shots as well. And they made their threes. And so how much of a factor was that in the game? Cody, I don't know about you, but I feel like that was the difference between like a 15-point game and a 30-point game. Like it was a lot of <laughs> points, but Miami was still, the process was still better on both sides for the Heat throughout the game. And so that brings us to um, a very interesting point in in these playoffs. And I just again, I just did not expect to be sitting here on, on Monday, May 22nd, after three games with this situation. We've got a 3 nothing series in the East. We have, we have a 3 nothing series in the West. Uh, both these series are completely done. There's, we're, we have no expectation of one of these wild, never been done before, it's going to happen one day, 3 nothing comebacks. It's a weird place to be. Should we be talking about the finals like they're, they're, uh, they're completely done? How, how do you feel about these two series? Okay. First, I, I want to go back and talk about Miami a little bit. Oh, you have more Miami. I didn't let, mean to, let, I didn't mean to let, take no, away let's more put, Let's put a pin in that for okay. a second because okay. there's, there's an offensive thing that I'm noticing that I like a lot for them these last couple of games. Um, I don't know, Ben. I feel, I feel pretty nervous calling either of these series. Like, it feels like there was, a, there was a period of time. Was it actually the Nuggets that came back? From th- two, three, one series in a row back during the bubble? In the bubble, yeah. They did it against Utah. They did it against the Clippers. Like, after after LeBron and the Cavaliers opened the floodgates with the finals 3-1 comeback, I just feel like the 3-1 comeback is something that's happened. Like, it's happened multiple times at this point where I'm like, at a certain point, somebody's going to have to win just the one additional game. Like, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I'm actually seeing, like, Jimmy Butler right now. It wouldn't be him, though. It wouldn't be anyone from the Celtics. I could see, like, LeBron after winning the next game. Like, how do you feel uh, about coming back from an uh, 0-3 deficit? And he'd be like, well, right now it's 3-1, right? It's 3-1. It has nothing to do with 0-3, you know? He, like, he, I can he see- was asked this. He was asked this. Did you, you must have missed it. Oh, I didn't see this, no. Yeah, he was asked about coming back from 3-0, and, he, and he, he's, the question essentially was like, you know, do you think about that making history? It's never been done, blah, blah, blah. And he just starts smiling, and he's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whereas a lot of players are like one game at a time, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, we're down three, nothing. The next, the next goal is to come back from three, nothing. So here we go. So yeah. uh, I don't know if you have a pick for which team would be more likely to do that. And, you know, there's definitely a part of me that says we have two sweeps, which would be like shock factor 10 million. We have the, we have the most parity we've had in 40 years. We have this f- 45 years, actually. We have this incredible tournament. Um, and then just to get two sweeps in the conference finals, where at least through the first, what, five games, they were extremely competitive. Yeah. Like, the Nuggets had a big lead in game one, and I do want to talk about that series today. Um, but the Nugget, the Lakers made that huge comeback. Nuggets hold on to win. Game two, rock fight, down to the wire. Lakers lead. Jamal Murray, poof, Nuggets win. Game three even, very close as you get to the fourth quarter. Nuggets win. First two games in Boston, it's like the Celtics are in a position to win both games. Oh, no, 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 no. It's it's Jimmy Butler and the Heat time. Those are the first five games of this round, and yet it might be a pair of sweeps. It might be. And I think I think if I had to pick one of them to come back, I think it would be the Celtics. I still think hmm. – like I, it just feels dumb to say it. I do think the Celtics team is just better. Like if they played 1,000 games, I'm pretty sure the Celtics would win – the majority of those games more often than not if you simulated it. I, I don't think, know. I, feel, I think if they played a thousand games 
following last night's game without much respite. I'm not sure the Celtics could win one. I think <laughs> they need the day off and the regroup. There was there it was a bad situation yesterday. So do you think the Lakers have a better chance of coming back 0-3? I feel like this is one of those this is one of those questions that when you never get to see the counterfactual, when the series just ends as it normally would, four games, five games, whatever, um, it sounds ridiculous to talk about. But statistically, I think the Celtics, because of the home court, that's a huge one. They have they have game five and game seven at home if they can get it there. Uh, and, and the talent that they have on that team. I, I think they would have to be my pick, but um, yeah, like it's, it's weird. I think we might be looking at two very short series and and yeah just did not just did not see it coming yeah and then okay I'm, I'm gonna go back to Miami for a second then we can move on to the other series just one thing with their process and offense that I've really liked lately it's actually something that I saw them go away from in the regular season and I really like that they've been bringing back a lot more especially these last couple games Ben the Bam Adebayo dribble handoff turnstile at the top all the half court creation from him this is exactly the kind of thing that had him rise to to stardom back in 2020 during the bubble is seeing like oh my goodness bam out is one of the best passing bigs in the league you could run an offense with people going all around him they've been doing that so much more just in these last couple of games and i think that opens up a lot of creativity for how spolster is mapping together some plays like there are some plays where like you watch the play and you're like okay i think it's going to be this action and then they kind of like blend into something else, right? You got like three guys standing in the corner. You're like, all right, this guy's going to come off two stagger screens or, uh, you know, two pin downs. Then all of a sudden, like maybe two of them come out and it's a split, a split action instead. And I'm just as confused as the Celtics are. And I think a lot of that has to do with Bam being able to step out and make some of those reads because Ben, some of those bounce passes he's making, he is opening the door for some, some Robinson layups, for some Vincent layups. And I think that's a really big key to how the offense has been has been oiled for this machine is, is unlocking the Bam at a bio passing game again it's it's certainly not to the uh degree of frequency where they had a lot of their offense built around those elbow actions bam having the ball up top around the foul line area and hitting those cutters um, it's not the same frequency that they had back in the bubble but the, especially with some of the bench units you're seeing that more that goes back to what i said about hero being out you know so much of the offensive process with the exception of some of those crazy troy vincent actions we were talking about so much of it is like jimmy butler dictating the offense for huge stretches of the time because of the mismatches that he can attack because of the way he can structurally set up the court. Here's a fun one from the Jimmy Butler video this week that I just, I wanted to squeeze into the video and I couldn't, we'll see if we can get it in another video in the future, but well, this is what this podcast is for Cody. It's for talking about things that I couldn't get into 10 minute YouTube videos. There's a play where Butler is orchestrating the offense and he's waving off Bam on a bio. And he says, you get out of here because they're going to switch Jalen Brown onto me. And I do not want Jalen Brown switched onto me. I want this to be an empty side action with Kevin Love. So there's no other players over here but me and Kevin Love and the two defenders. Kevin Love can pop into the corner space for a three. And I can attack the middle if I want to. He says, Bam, you get out of here. If you watch that clip in the video, at the exact same time, Eric Spolstra is making the exact same hand motion saying, bam, you get out of here. And like the, the connection, right? The mind meld between the coach and the star player. Uh, it's just perfect. These guys are all on the same page because of how well coached they are. And to me, Butler, you look up the stats. He has six assists 
in the series. I don't know off the top of my head what our statistical box creation estimates are for how many shots he's setting up. I know they're pretty high, but there are stretches of this series, especially in the first two games and especially in the first half of game three, where he's just dictating good shot after good shot after good shot for Miami, calling his own number or hitting a teammate when the Celtics have to collapse or, or bring some extra help or something like that. And Cody, you're going to love this. Making that video, it reminded me of doing film, film work on LeBron James. Just how surgical and tactical he was picking the opponent apart. And so you look in the box score, the guy only has six assists per game in the series. But along with Bam getting a little more opportunity to create offense at the elbow, especially with the second unit, plus Jimmy Butler, the stuff we just talked about, that is a lot of offensive centricity shifted to them when you don't have Tyler Hero around anymore. And so you're left with Kevin Love's stretch shooting. You're left with Bam at the elbow. You're left with Jimmy Butler doing a ton. And then you sprinkle in like, whoa, Gabe Vincent's doing do, he's got on ball juice all of a sudden out of the pick and roll and that's how you get a 125 offensive rating along with shooting uh wait for it i just want to get this stat right i don't want to mess it up they're 44 of 92 from downtown 48 percent what genius said they would not shoot 46 percent again in a playoff series because uh that genius was right they're they're, they're not at 46 percent cody they're at 48 <laughs> percent when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I asked you this on an earlier pod, but now now that you've done more of a deep dive, I want to see if your answer is, if you have a more solidified answer. Is this Jimmy Butler's peak right now? I think it is. I think it is. I, I um, have a hard time really giving too much credit to single-year peaks as, as longtime followers of Thinking Basketball. No, I like a little bit of a larger sample. 2022 and 2023 Jimmy Butler. Um, really just fantastic. And... It's incredible to me because of his age, right? I, the other day when I was working on that video, I, I looked up his age and I was like, what is Jimmy? He's pretty old now. What is he, like 31, right? And and I was kind of taken aback that he's closer to 34, wow. right? He's going to be 34 in September. And some of this is the way basketball and athletics have worked where... You've got conditioning, you've got uh, health, you've got all the science behind this stuff, and players are playing longer than ever. Some of it is definitely that. But some of it is just like, you look at those athletic tools that I outlined in that video and how he succeeds on the court. And it's just refining and learning and refining and learning and getting better with age. Because despite his age, Cody, I would not say, oh, he's traded off this one skill for this other skill severely. It's like, oh, he physically has lost his ability to destroy people in the passing lane. No, 33, 32, 33 year old Jimmy Butler. I don't see anything going back two or three or four years that would make me say he's better in the passing lane than even though he's older, right? Like his physical, the way he uses his size, his body, he's never been a guy who's had an insane first step, even going back to Marquette. 
So it's not like he's trading off those things. He's just refined and acquired and refined and acquired. And um, and the last phase, which this is why I like multi-year stuff, we got to wait and see what happens. That last phase is this year in particular, his mid-range shot looks improved statistically. It's, it's the highest it's blipped in a while. Um, I think it went down a little off the top of my head in his couple years in Miami, and it was a little bit higher in the Minnesota-Chicago years. But if he's gonna if he's gonna add that part of his maturity to his game, like I've played I've played a thousand basketball games, I've taken ten thousand shots, I'm now actually a forty eight percent mid range shooter. That that is a really really cool value arc for a player during his career. Let's put it that way. Just looking at his basketball reference page, one of his nicknames is uh, Himmy Butler, and I was just thinking about how like thirty years from now. Like someone's gonna come up and be like, "Why, why is this nickname Hemi Butler?" I'm like, "Oh, crap! Words are slang is weird, man. Slang is weird." If you haven't what? seen, if you haven't seen his basketball reference page, uh, it's worth checking out just for the hair. Let me just put it that way. The dreadlock. Isn't there a story about his dreads? I thought there was a story that came out about like the hidden blip of his. I don't know. I don't remember who wrote it, so I apologize. It's someone that's out there that works for somebody big, but I didn't get around to reading it yet. What, what, what are you, Lakers, Celtics? Uh, they, you know, they're not going to be in the finals. We're going to do the Nuggets. We're going to talk about them. There's a clip of Bob Iger and Adam Silver talking, and all I can think about is just how Silver's apologizing. Like, I'm so sorry. This, is, this isn't what you wanted to be able to put on, on Hulu and, and Disney+. Plus. I, I, boy, I don't know. It's very interesting because for me, from the basketball standpoint, I think the Nuggets and the Heat – coaching staff and the the Jokic and the Butler I think there's a lot of meat there I think there's a lot of meat there and a lot of marketability but you just if, if you don't sell the game that way if you don't talk mm-hmm. about the game that way then I guess you have to apologize to Bob Iger in that situation versus versus celebrating well let's not let's not put the cart before the horse let's let's talk about let's talk about game three because I'm still I'm still a little nervous I'm nervous about yes I'm nervous about that the, the the finals matchup is not set we were not saying that um, you can't add that to my wondrous collection of receipts that I've piled up in the last few weeks. Lakers, Nuggets. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take the lead on this one. What? How how you feeling? I mean, how am I feeling? I'm feeling that first half from Jim from Jimmy. I was gonna say Jimmy Butler. I just want to talk about Jimmy Butler some more. That first half from Jamal Murray was just in a in a half where Nikola Jokic maybe has his worst half of the playoffs right now. He's a pretty inefficient five points. The Lakers are doing a pretty solid job on him. And Murray is just, what, he's taking Schroeder down the post, doing some post fades on him, hitting some pull-up threes. Athletically, like, like KCP is breaking up outlet passes to LeBron, and Murray's just getting these junk layups. It was just a really, really incredible performance. And I think especially at a time when the Nuggets' half-court defense in that first half was uh, was pretty rough. They just needed an offensive explosion, and Murray just like in the moment had everything that they absolutely needed. So um, that that was the first thing that stood out to me. Is you know Murray cooled off a bit. I think he ended up having seven points in the second half. But then there's a third quarter. Ben Jokic has like four fouls. He goes out of the game. It looks like it's a time that the Lakers might overtake them. The bench guys 
just go on this flurry of making shots. I don't even know if plus minus if they had an advantage or if they just kept the advantage the whole time, but it was exactly what they needed to do before Jokic got back in the game. So it was like, it was a tale of everyone doing exactly what they needed to do at the exact right time for them to just stave off the Lakers coming at them. Where would you rank Jamal Murray in wow. in... You don't know what you don't know what's coming yet. You, it's you a rank. That I already struggle with it. I'm, I'm brain is. It's, it's right in now. your wheelhouse, though. It's in your wheelhouse. You've brought this up before. You brought it up with Clay Thompson. We were talking about uh, the best shooters of all time. Where would you rank Jamal Murray in your spurtability list? Ooh. This like catch fire <laughs> sort of. It's this is right up your wheelhouse. You asked about variants and should we describe players by how consistent they are? He. It feels to me like he can, he can get pretty hot. Okay. Steph Curry's number one. Steph Curry's number one. Is he, is he too one? good? Okay. It, the thing is, is he so good? Man, I don't know. Okay. Is it like a relative spurtability? Like Jamal Murray's baseline is lower than Steph Curry, so we actually value... You know, I'm just going to talk about peak spurtability. Steph yeah. Curry's number one for me because when he's like... When he's just cooking, it's there's nothing like it. Like, that's a story in its own. I don't think Clay Thompson quite has it anymore. I think Clay would have been maybe number two most other years up until, you know, when he got that injury in 2019. Man, is there anyone that's above Jamal Murray for that number two spot? I don't know. Give, who, what are some other names? Who, are who some else names? comes to, when you think about guys just getting on fire and getting in the zone, who else the comes to cooker, mind? Booker? Oh, I, I feel like he's more consistent. I don't know. Tatum feels like a guy who can get in the zone. How about that? Donovan Mitchell? Donovan like, Mitchell... I think I would take Murray over over Donovan Mitchell in this we, ranking. We agree, we though, really, that there aren't. It's hard to come up with guys who you're like, oh yeah. When I think about players getting hot, they're clearly above Jamal Murray, Malik Monk. <laughs> just, uh, you let, he's in the just conversation. Kentucky guards, just other Kentucky guards. <laughs> I think that's about it. The list is actually not that long. Someone's gonna come. You know what? He's not there. But I want him to be there. Jeff Green. Jeff Green always has. It, it's a different kind of spurtability. Jeff Green. Yeah. What's going on? Okay. It's dunk spurtability. Like whenever you need like an enormous playoff dunk, like no one has it like Jeff Green. Just That's coming not out what nowhere. we're talking about. We're I talking know. about hot I want to shot out. making in a short <laughs> period of time. I wanted to shout out Jeff Green. That's Honestly, that's like the list. Like the guys that we just said is probably it. And I think that Curry is right at the top, and then I think Murray, and then I think there's a gap before anyone else. Good. That's all I wanted to hear, is that okay. you think he's he's up there. Because in game two, he had 23 points in the fourth quarter, really in many ways kind of saved the game for the Nuggets, just that individual performance. His shot-making was incredible. What was he, six of seven or seven of eight or something like that? And they're all, you know, it's the it's the Murray flurry, Cody, right? It's a, it's a step back three. It's a run down and take a pull up three. It's the end of the shot clock, dribbling around. Everyone's stuck. Get into the paint, pivot foot, spin back, fade away. Now he's starting to feel it. Then he takes Dennis Schroeder into the post. Dribble, 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 waiting for a double team. Okay, no double team. Fade away another one all of a sudden 23 points first quarter of game three staple center whatever that place is called now i'm doing that thing where you always call it the old name um is it still crypto let's just move on okay okay murray has 17 in that quarter 
And then at the end of the quarter, Jeff Van Gundy made the observation. He's like, Jamal Murray scored 40 points in a half. He scored 40 points in at the end of uh, game two and in the first quarter of this game. That's 40 points in two quarters. That's a lot of points. He is averaging eight. just want to make sure I have this right. Just under eight points per game in the playoffs in the fourth quarter. And if you look at guys who have advanced, uh, Steph Curry averaged 10 points per game in the fourth quarter. Jimmy Butler, eight points per game in the fourth quarter. And Jamal Murray and Jalen Brunson, eight points per game in the fourth quarter. So that shot making, those little spurts, in some ways, it goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show. You get something like that at the right time, and it's just swinging those games just enough for Denver. And it's it's the difference in this series, I think, between a 3 nothing series and a 2-1 series, and, and really a 2-1 series either way. Mm-hmm. I think if we're being you know, truthful with ourselves here. It really, I feel like it could be two one either way. That's part of why that's part of why I have a level two surprise that it's three nothing. Yeah. I'll go I'll go what? level two surprise. Heat level ten surprise that okay. it's three nothing. Yeah. I'm gonna Scale give a level one to ten. Yeah. Okay. Level two surprise for this one. You know, something about the Lakers that that I was impressed with, I think their passing has been on point. I've been really impressed with with some of LeBron's offense, not as shooting. I'm not impressed with LeBron James shooting threes. Like, was that game two when the Lakers had momentum and LeBron's like, you know what we need right now at the beginning of the fourth? We need me to take three straight threes and just break, like completely destroys, completely destroys any momentum. I even thought in the fourth quarter of game three, I think it was the fourth quarter, he didn't take multiple of them in a row. I think he had made two consecutive threes, his first three of the conference finals, maybe in the third quarter. But then he comes out and takes one of these pull-up threes, and I'm I'm really just not vibing those. I think it completely takes him out of their offense. It takes away from the process that they have going well because I think LeBron's straight-line drives have looked really good. Maybe he's gotten a kind whistle at some times, but I also think he's absorbed a good amount of contact at other times. When he takes it in transition, he still does have a little bit of finishing juice. His passing game, there's one play. Anthony Davis, just like for a second, I don't even know who, I think it might be Murray on him, gets the Murray mismatch. They pass it to LeBron, and LeBron immediately, like, touch pass lobs it right only where Anthony Davis is going to get it. And I've been impressed with a lot of that passing. The other person's passing, Ben, Reeves, I was gonna say Matt Reeves. Is Matt Matt Reeves is like a quarterback or something? I think. What? I don't even know. What is Austin happening? Reeves. We're setting the record for naming problems today. Yes, Austin <laughs> Reeves. Yes, Austin Reeves. Some of the passes this guy tries, like he tried this one, like no look touch pass to cutting LeBron that was just like so audacious. And I'm like, I absolutely love this. He's flinging skip passes just off the bounce that are hitting guys right in the pocket. Between those guys and their ability to find people in the half court, I think that's doing a good job of picking apart uh, some of the issues the Nuggets have had with their defensive process. And, you know, the Lakers have some pet actions they've been going to. They had a nice little give-and-go action between LeBron and a couple guys that got him layups or or uh, I think maybe Dennis Schroeder got some free throws out of it. I, I've genuinely liked watching how the Lakers are attacking them on defense, but the Nuggets at times and just, like you said, the Murray flurry. I think my favorite part of what I'm seeing, I'm not even sure it's the right move necessarily, but it's just wild to watch. The Lakers at the end of game one came with that adjustment to put Rui on uh, Nikola Jokic. LeBron, at times, especially down the stretch of Game 2, has defended him very well. And when one of those guys is on him, it allows Davis to roam off and be his destructive self around the basket. And the Nuggets just haven't flinched. 
They just, they've, they, you could say they've, they've done some small tweaks here and there, but essentially what they've said is we're still going to run our stuff and our stuff is still going to be centered around the Jokic Murray two-man game. And you really don't have an answer for the Jokic Murray two-man game. And in a sense, it's why it's such a big deal that Jamal Murray is averaging 30 points a game in the series or whatever it is. He's got, I have the per possession stats in front of me, 32 points per 75 in this series on plus 8% true shooting from Jamal Murray. So it's the complement to that two-man game with Jokic. And you said Jokic did not have a a good scoring half in the first half, Uh, maybe statistically or offensively one of his weakest halves in the entire playoffs. And that's the half where Murray had 30 in the half. 30 in the half after 23 in the fourth quarter, the game before, that's 53 points in three quarters from Jamal Murray. So... That's been sort of a fun thing to watch where Denver's like, well, yeah, you may have taken our fastball from like 101 down to 99, but we would still like to throw a lot of fastballs before we, we try throwing any other pitch. It's, it's been cool to watch. You know, one of the pitches that I have liked, by the way, for the record, Matt Reeves is the person that directed the Batman this last year. and The, 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 the Batman the with, uh, with Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah. We just talk about Robert Pattinson. I like That's that another one. Podcast. It was like a film noir. All right, okay. Anyway, back to the Lakers. The, the entrance, the sound design when he like walks up and you just hear the weight of the suit. That's sick. Like that that opening scene was just great. Robert Pattinson's awesome. We should get him on the pod. Um, I doubt he knows anything about basketball. Anyway, uh, one of the actions that the Nuggets, I, I've been seeing it like one of the pitches that they're throwing out there. They have this weird thing where either somebody's like curling around a pin down. And then what happens is the person that sets the screen just, like, immediately curls and dives behind the person. So, like, the first person rolls to the rim, and then if it's Jokic that set the screen, he immediately, like, rolls right behind him. Oh, no, that, no, I know the play you're talking about. That's feel. That's Jokic reading the play in an impromptu situation. That was one of the craziest plays I've seen in the entire playoffs. It was beautiful, but I've seen Aaron Gordon do the same thing earlier in the playoffs where they have this parade of people just rolling to the rim, which is, it's weird because you think with spacing, you don't want two people like you occupying the behind, same. Right, you wouldn't, it's, it's the old like cut behind the cutter when you know that first guy is actually bringing his man, the jet, the jet ski, like he's towing him out to the corner for you. He's clearing, he's clearing that space out. It, the one you're talking about in game three uh, I, I just I had to rewatch it repeatedly. I was like, wait a second. LeBron James is out in the action defending the screen. And what ends up happening is Jokic kind of like turns and realizes as he sets the screen, he's inside LeBron. And so he just cuts as fast as he can behind the first screener, gets the ball to the basket. And I, I, it was a foul or a layup or something. It, it was incredible. Yeah, no. So, you know, they have this process that I just love from them. They had Aaron Gordon even doing like a, a dribble handoff type action where he dimes up Jamal Murray in a back cut. So I I just love their ability to just, you know, do these spontaneous cuts, get themselves good layups. Ben, there's something I wanted to ask you because I feel like we were talking about this and I think this is something you wanted to talk about here. Do you want to talk about Jokic's man defense ooh, at all? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a great point to bring up because... A lot of what we've talked about with Jokic's defense has been in the team concept, handling pick and roll coverages, being stressed out, being stretched out, excuse me, um, inability to really provide rim protection, which I think is definitely a weak point of his as a center. He's not super vertical with the shot blocking around the basket. But his, his man defense throughout the playoffs has not only held up, but I think even in the regular season, especially down inside like 10 feet, with the way he positions himself, 
his size, his strength, and his incredible hands. And this goes back to the video, the first video I ever made on him in 2019. His hands, the speed, the accuracy, the hand-eye coordination, the length, they're a real weapon for him. And that makes him a pretty good man defender against a lot of bigs in the league. And in this series, not only has he held up well against Anthony Davis in man defense whenever the Lakers have tried to attack him, because as an aside, that's not really Anthony Davis's strength offensively. It's not a weakness. He has some of that in his game still, but it's vertical threats, offensive rebounding, mismatch, sealing, off-ball cuts, it's stuff like that. And so just this idea of straight post-up or you know mid-range, you turn and face and clear out and have Anthony Davis attack Jokic like the way Joel Embiid would, Embiid would in Philadelphia, it hasn't really yielded a lot of success for the Lakers because Jokic's man defense has really held up. Additionally, Cody, Davis likes to fall down on his shots, especially near the baseline. So if it's a little runner, he likes to fall down. If it's a little spin fade, he likes to fall down, floating to the baseline if he's going to the opposite hand or whatever. When he's fallen down in those situation, in situations, that triggers a fast break for the Nuggets. And because Jokic is Jokic and he's the center, it's a five on four with one of the best passers ever pointing the attack and the Nuggets have gotten incredible offense in transition. And I'm watching the game, and they do constantly point out how the Nuggets are doing great in transition and how it's a weak point for the Lakers. But oftentimes they do the thing where they're like, come back from commercial, and there was a timeout, and Denver had a run, and they roll the tape with the little music, ba 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 da ba da ba ba da ba You know, they, they like, they're playing it, and they're like, this is just poor effort. The Lakers got to get back in transition. And if you watch those plays... Half the time, Anthony Davis fell down behind the play. Jokic grabbed it and immediately sprinted down the court because he knew it was a five-on-four. So that's been this final little wrinkle of this mismatch where it's like Davis has actually hurt some of his defensive value by attacking Jokic and missing in offense, and it's created transition for the Nuggets. And the other thing that really helps with them in their transition is Aaron Gordon, when he decides to put his head down and he's like, I'm going to the rim, especially in transition, very few players are matching up with him physically. Like, this is a very big Lakers team, and especially if Anthony Davis isn't down by the rim, Aaron Gordon is going to blow through people for a jam or a finish, and I think he's created some offensive value just by the mere fact that he is just sprinting towards the rim no matter what on a lot of these plays. I just realized, and someone's probably already started typing it in the YouTube comments, I'm pretty sure I just hummed the Conan O'Brien late night theme from back when he was on NBC, uh, when I was humming humming the theme music there. Uh, boy, this has, been a, this has been a fun show. You want to read some fun, small sampled numbers from the playoffs? Wait, wait, wait. Did you, did you mean to hum something else or is it the same tune? No, it's not the same tune. It just, it sounds apparently similar enough to oh. me that when I, you know what I'm talking about when they come back from commercial and they have the little highlight package they put together. The NBA on ABC, they have a little theme song they use for, not the theme song for the show starting, the theme song for that highlight package. I can't think of it. Uh, do you want to try again? No, I definitely no. do not want to try again. What I want to do is I want to read small sample num- numbers from this series. Uh, we are three games, as everyone knows, into each series. Using our box plus minus model that we have, which is designed to, to handle these smaller samples 
better than, you know, other stats that use a lot of plus minus and things like that. Who do you think has the highest box plus minus of the four teams in this round? Wow. Um, I feel like because you're asking me that it's not going to be Jokic or Davis, it's going to be some, it, it, it's got to be, it's got to be your guy, Jamal Murray. It's Jamal Murray. It's Jamal Murray. Yes. His, uh, his 32 points per 75 at plus 8% in the first three games of this series. And the, the Nuggets have been 11 points better than the Lakers per 100 with him on the court. Um, he has a, uh, his on off change is, is plus 28 per 100. I love the small sample stuff. It's so fun. Like you look at the Nuggets with Jokic on the bench, they're 30, 41 points worse per 100 in this series. You get really fun numbers like that. When you only Wait, look so his, at his on off is plus 41. Yeah, plus 41. But it's three games. It's three games. Yeah. Yeah. In a four game, I think the highest in our database, we have it for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash thinking basketball. We have series by series stats going back to 2001. And in a couple weeks, we'll update it with, with this year's series that, that are going to wrap up. And I think the highest four game on off ever is a Draymond Green series where he was like plus 85. Just because this, the numbers are so small, you know, you're like, you like outscore the team by like 100 points when you're on the court and you go to the bench for 35 minutes or something and you get outscored yourself. But yeah, Jamal Murray, Murray and Jokic are one and two. And I think that the reason I wanted to bring that up is I just think that hits the nail on the head for everything we're talking about with the success the Nuggets have had in this series. So we've both have expressed fear of just going out there and being like, all right, let's preview the finals now. Like, we have this figured out. Fear is your word. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I, I would say uh, ca- caution, caution on my side. Yeah. I guess fear's intent. I'm not, like, peeking over my shoulder for, like, I don't know. I, I was going to say the – who's who's the owner of the Lakers? I don't even know. The guy that I, looks like Rob Lowe. The, no, that's that's the Rob general Polinka. manager. <laughs> I don't, who knows? Yes, who the knows buses own the Lakers, yes. The buses, yeah, yeah. you're right. Okay, so – Let's say you're the Lakers, and you're preparing for this game tonight. You're preparing for the rest of the series. You're taking it one game at a time. You're aware of the fact that you're down 0-3. Should the Lakers keep doing what they're doing and just like, hey, if they're going to Murray flurry, if these other guys are going to make a bunch of shots, we're just going to lose? Or are there some like clear adjustments that you think the Lakers should come out and be like, you know what, we need to do this differently going forward? Well, yeah, I think they've found, uh, I think they've found out who can and can't play in this series, right? So Jared Vanderbilt is, is not a Jared Vanderbilt series. So I think you get to a certain point, and I believe you saw it in the rotations in game three. They're all blurring together at this point in my mind. But you've got Reeves, LeBron, and AD. Those have been your top three guys. Additionally, you got to find a way to get minutes from D'Angelo Russell, but that keeps getting dicier and dicier, I think. So what you're seeing is Rui. And in addition to Rui, you're seeing uh, a little Gabe Vincent. Uh, not Gabe Vincent. Wow, they could me, use Gabe wow. Vincent right now. That'd be great. <laughs> they, could, they could definitely use Gabe Vincent. Uh, Schroeder and a little Lonnie Walker is what I was trying to say. I feel like that's your rotation coming in. And like I said, if you can figure out how to get minutes um, that are positive from D'Angelo Russell, that's why you might continue to see him start, right? Because that might be the easiest way to get him off offensively. But I think tightening that up um, and probably playing a little bit more maybe of uh, LeBron or Rui on Jokic, I would would try that big lineup personally. 
I, I'm that's just the direction I would go in. But otherwise, I think um, otherwise I think the Lakers just have to make shots and play well and, and win the game. That's it. it I, yeah. I feel like I feel like I've been impressed with LeBron's defense. He took Jokic for a while, and I thought uh, LeBron just has. You know, we didn't talk about it in the defense episode, but he just has some of the best hands. We talk about hands. This guy is so good at, at stripping guys on their shots. Probably has tons of blocks just from that sort of thing. Did, didn't I say so that? so strong. Did, did, did we, we say that earlier? In this episode or in yeah. the defense episode? No, in this episode. You said that Jokic has great hands. No, Le- LeBron. His man D on Jokic has been has been very good at times. Did we, did I, we not say that? I don't think we did. You got to be. We got to be near the end of the show if I'm forgetting what we've talked about. End of game two, I thought LeBron did a really nice job guarding Jokic. The hands thing, as you said, deflecting a lot of uh, balls around the basket, and also just realizing like when they play two man game, get your hands high, mm-hmm. and his anticipation and his reflexes and hand eye coordination, understanding what the Nuggets are trying to do. I don't know off the top of my head what the number was, but he had a ton of deflections mm-hmm. in game two in that situation. So. Cody, let's leave on this. You wanted to let everyone know a LeBron James factoid, yeah. uh, right? Is It's a little statistical nugget that you wanted Can, to share with everyone. You want to set the table? Am I allowed to call you out oh, while yeah. I share you, this? No, you have to call me out. You have to okay. So I'm a, here's the thing, people. This is for all of you. I said before the show that I had a stat that I think is really cool about LeBron. And Ben's like, no, that's that's not a cool stat. I'm like it's it's it's, so, it's an awesome stat. This is great, and I shared it with our thinking basketball people. And you know how you like post things in group chats, and people no one reacted to it. So clearly, clearly none of them are cool enough to also think it's a cool well, stat. well, well. Here, here's why. Here's why. Uh, I think everyone knows the gist of the stat. It's it's not it's not surprising. I think everyone knows the gist of it. And with the Lakers down three nothing, I don't know if people are vibing on this stat. So Cody, Cody, okay. here's your chance to sell everyone yeah. and really stick it to me. What, what What's the stat, and why should people love it? I think this is pretty sweet. So LeBron right now, he is 17 points away from scoring 8,000 career playoff points. All right, 17 points away from 8,000 career playoff points. That would mean that LeBron James is the only player in NBA history to have scored 8,000 points in the playoffs. He would also be the only player to have scored 7,000 points in the playoffs. He would also be the only player to have scored 6,000 points in the playoffs, the player who's number two, Michael Jordan, has 5,987 points. To, if you have Kevin Durant right now, who is second out of active players, if you take his 2018 postseason, he scored like 608 points, he would need more than five more of those playoffs to get up to where LeBron is right now. The fact that I, I think looking at this, this seems like an unbreakable NBA record. And I think that is really cool that even though the Lakers might be getting swept tonight, the series might be over. Uh, I think the fact that LeBron is just establishing this multi-thousand point difference between Michael Jordan and everyone else is pretty sweet. So I just want to know, people, is that a cool stat or is Ben right? Is, am I just am I just kind of lame about this? Well, I didn't use the word lame. That was your word. That, yeah. I, I, did. Yeah, I am using that. Do you, do you think it's a cool stat? I'll just yeah. put it at that. Yeah, we have to let us know. I, you did actually trigger a thought from that uh, that I didn't expect. So maybe I have to maybe I have to walk back what I said because Kevin Durant, the 2018 postseason, that was his highest scoring postseason of his entire career. Mm-hmm. He had 608 points in that postseason and the Warriors played 21 games in route to a title. So all he would need is five of those to catch LeBron, right? Yeah. To catch him, he would need five plus a little bit more to catch LeBron. Yeah. 
So that makes me think it's not unbreakable. If he's like five championship runs away, that that feels Kevin Durant's 34. He probably won't be the one to do it. But you got a player that plays. Is isn't the, isn't the secret to this whole thing that LeBron James has played like 280 playoff games or whatever the number is? Yeah, I think cumulative stats are really cool. Like I, I mathed it out once upon a time about Moses Malone and another number of offensive rebounds he has. And I, for, if you took like. I forgot who was second. It was like Robert Parrish or something like that. And if you took Robert Parrish's most offensive rebounds in a season, he would still need like seven more seasons to match Moses. I think longevity stats that just show like A, LeBron has played forever and B, LeBron has just made an incredible amount of long playoff runs. Those are just impressive things. Like you watch like the Bucks this season. They don't even make it past the first round. It is difficult to rack up multiple deep playoff runs and to rack up a bunch of stats doing it. So um, I don't know. I think it's a really cool stat, Ben. Uh, I don't know what I said, but he's played 281 playoff games. That's the number of playoff games LeBron James has played. 281 playoff games. That's 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 14 playoff games for 20 years. You're impressed. I'm impressed with the playoff game number. That who's second in playoff games? He's got to have a good lead over him. That's it? it's got to be like Derek Fisher. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably Derek Fisher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know. That that's all I had for for my stat here. That right. hopefully hopefully he'll make it. Uh, if they have to extend it to make it over eight thousand, great. That sounds good to me. Uh, but I'm not sold on either of these series yet. That stat is cool. That's all I got for you. Patreon.com/slash/thinkingbasketball. That's the best way to directly support us. Let us know what you think of Cody's stat about LeBron James possibly being the only playoff scorer to have eight thousand points, seven thousand points. And 6,000 points coming up uh, in Game 4. We will be back on Thursday. I mean, what, Game 4s, Game 5s. I don't know. The series might be over. Who knows what's going to happen? These series might be going on. We, we can't predict the future anymore, clearly. We have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, thanks, thanks for listening all the way through on this one. Hope you're enjoying these wild and crazy playoffs despite despite those conversations between adam silver and bob Iger and whatever they're saying they are a lot of fun around these parts uh, and of course i hope you're having a great day